welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I've got another conversation for you that I recorded a few weeks ago. And so you hear me and the guests talking about the weather and life outside, do you remember that? So hopefully we'll get back to it soon. Anyway, my guest for this week is Dr. Krishnan Ramdu, and he is a practicing clinician and he's a founder of a scaling health tech company as well. So he does both at the same time, which is very interesting. We do talk about that in the episode. Uh, he's a fellow Mauritian, um, originating on that glorious island in the Indian Ocean. And he has built an end-to-end ENT solution, which comprises of a brand new medical device, obviously for the ears, which does lots and lots of cool stuff, which we talk about. Uh, They've done a lot of cool partnerships. They're scaling very quickly. It's a really good one for all the entrepreneurs, all the clinicians, and anybody interested in health tech out there. So enjoy. How you doing, mate? Good, thank you. Excellent. to be here. You're very welcome, sir. So whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Krish? So I'm currently in our office. Um, we have these little booths which are supposed to be uh, soundproof, um, but as long as you can't hear the background, then uh, hopefully it is doing its job. <laughs> well, if anyone comes past banging drums, we can always uh, I can always cut that bit out, so the listeners yeah. won't even know. Perfect. Um, cool. Have you been outside much today, mate? It's, we've had every bit of weather today, haven't we? Like it was snowing earlier. Now I'm looking at like beautiful sunshine. Have you been party no, to any of that today? Well, I had a couple of meetings um, in different areas in London this morning. And on that part of the journey, which was when I was out, out and about, was when it was snowing. Um, oh, nice. But now, now when I'm physically in the office, I'm looking out the window and yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sunny. But you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't have thought it for February to have snow, would you? No, no. But it, it, it ha- I think that's snow in like April last year. Anyway, we yeah. digress, mate. Um, not like Mauritius though, is it, dude? My fellow Mauritian friend. I know, um, exactly. I think when we both connected with each other, we saw that we had the double O. The double at O. The end, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the, uh, at the surname, and we thought it has to be. And uh, yeah, no, not like Mauritius though. So. I no. wondered whether you were going to do a podcast out there and then I'd, obviously I'll come and join that. Oh, do you know what? I should have done that over Christmas, shouldn't I? I should have done like a, like a video one of, um, yeah, that beach, would have been a beach side, yeah, a beach side exactly. podcast. We should have, we should have done it anyway. There's always next year, dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, man. Well, the way we kick off these podcasts is, yeah, I get you to tell your story, mate. So obviously we've caught up a few times. I know about mm. your awesome background and the stuff that you're up to, but for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you tell us your story? Right. So, um, so by background, um, I'm a ENT surgeon and, um, I've been a doctor now for, uh, coming up 10, 10 years, actually, uh, qualified in, uh, 2009. Um, so essentially where, where it started was, uh, I think in medical school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, mm. but started as you do your foundation program. Um, and I, one of my first jobs as an F2 was um, ENT and it was the first specialty that's in nose and throat so the first specialty which I found that actually when I was um, uh, doing it I didn't mind reading about it and as I progressed through that I went on to um, the next specialty which is care of the elderly and that kind of got my mind thinking about simple interventions but also thinking a little bit outside the box and there was a lady and I guess this was kind of where the journey started for me um, or started getting my mind ticking 
was this lady who, um, she was admitted to the ward, uh, she was 79, admitted to the ward for a urinary tract infection. She was treated for that, but she was still quite confused, disengaged with her family and disorientated. Um, the team pretty much said, well, maybe she's confused from a new setting or is it early onset dementia? Me being a budding eyed uh, uh, ENT surgeon, <laughs> looking at, let me look in her ears. Um, looked in her ears and uh, lo and behold, there was wax. So I wheeled her down to our ENT department myself, removed the wax and then got a hearing test. And as a result of getting the hearing test, it showed that there was age-related hearing loss. Got her a hearing aid fitted, followed her up um, six months later, and it made a big impact on life. She was wow. planning her 80th birthday um, and really engaged with the family. Oh. And at that point, I was like, well, you know, that simple intervention uh, made such a big impact on her life. But... As with medicine, as you know, James, there's loads of hoops to jump through. So Indeed. I did what I had to do. Like I wanted to get into the London School of Surgery. So published that paper and then I was like, right, let's just keep going and jumping those hoops <laughs> to, to, to move from where keep I was rolling in Oxford. the dice. Exactly. So um, move from where I was in Oxford to then um, come over to London. And once I got into the, the London School of Surgery, um, became a practicing as a registrar in ENT in um, London Northwest Hospital um, and in the London area, I started to see this problem occurring. And I was like, this problem of not only hearing loss, but also I was getting patients who were outside my clinic room just coming to, to see me for wax removal. And I thought, mm -hmm. this is crazy. Like, this is such a simple intervention in some respects which needs training, but could actually be delivered in a different locality and in the community. So I started thinking about, well, how can we, you know, with all these things and the way that these, you need to think of a solution to a problem that's actually there. And I was just seeing it firsthand. And you had this patient who has a problem with their hearing. They go to see their um, GP who sends them on to audiology. Audiology generally do an accurate assessment. There might be wax present. So they have to, they can't remove it back to the GP, sends them on to ENT to get it removed because GPs aren't offering it anymore. Oh. ENT removed back to GP and then finally onto the audiologist. So really disjointed pathway, but I wanted to develop a solution that could look at what the current ways of doing it, but also link it to technology. And um, the only way for me to step out in order to do that was to step out and do a PhD. So I was doing my full-time clinical training but still do, then applied for a PhD on a part-time basis and um, was trying to do that and that was a struggle because obviously you're trying to manage uh, the kind of academic as well as uh, um, clinical work but everyone people do do that so then I kind of was starting to evolve this idea of the concept of taking the ear clinic out into the community so I applied for this government-funded grant through the NIHR, and um, we were shortlisted for a grant, um, and I think we're down to the last five, and we're told pretty clearly that we, we had a very, very good chance of getting it, um, and we're down to the last five, and that was for 850K. Mm. Um, and that was to help develop this concept of taking the ear clinic out into the community. And I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the product later. Um, but 
I then hit this roadblock of um, wanting to develop this idea. But actually, what ended up happening was I got into a, I guess it was a discussion about who owns the intellectual property, yeah. um, which a lot of clinicians have as an issue. Um, and in order for us to get the grant, we were supposed to spin out the shell company of which the grant money could go to. Yeah. But the um, place where I was, um, they were like, no, we need to do it in a different way. Um, and so is it, when you say the place that you were, do you mean the hospital, is it the hospital, yeah, the hospital you were I was working at? at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hospital I was working at. So, um, they, uh, were like, no, I actually need to come by this route. And they were claiming quite a big ownership of the intellectual property. And, um, just because yeah. you came up with the idea on their property. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, and, by then. and in actual fact, if you look back to the story I said at the beginning was that's where the idea came from. And yeah. some of the initial ideas of what I was wanting to achieve which we had a published paper for. But, you know, I think that is the nature of what happens with a lot of clinicians. So I, in the end, had to say, well, because of the complexities in how they wanted it to flow, yeah. the money, I guess, which, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't maybe not have reached the, uh, the um, spin-out company in full force, um, was actually not take the money. And I was like, okay, that's... Yeah. And I was like, you know, I just didn't agree with the arrangement that we're, we, we were having. But along that journey, because I was doing this PhD, I was kind of uh, seen as an expert, let's say, in inverted commas in the field. So I was going sure. out um, talking about hearing loss and screening um, at the House of Commons. I even went to number 10. Um, so obviously that was a great experience. But actually one of the... Um, smallest meetings I did was an AGM for a charity and in that meeting there was the managing director of all the major high street providers um, as well as some people from the NHS but it was the high street providers that said you know what if you develop this toolkit we're definitely interested um, and would probably look to purchase and roll that out so I kind of knew that I was on something and here now I'm kind of in my surgical training at kind of senior level ST four or five um, mm. and then I was speaking to a friend I said look I really think I'm onto something here and the fact that we were going to get this funding I think there is something to it so um yeah he said look I've got this uh this family office let's say who um who what maybe you should go and chat to went and spoke to them and um it was kind of like Dragon's Den it was <laughs> uh one pitch and then one offer of investment Goodness which I know me. was which was for more than the grant as well Right. Um, Off one meeting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of, with all these things, there was due diligence, but I think they understood the concept. And, yeah. you know, on that, what I was trying to achieve was deliver a piece of kit which allows you to be truly portable and effective and efficient for the patient. Um, and essentially what it, what it is, and we'll go into more detail, was it, it's, it clips, it's called the Timper Health System, but it clips onto your smartphone allows you to look in the ear at high definition, do the procedure of earwax removal, do a screening hearing test as well, but then encapsulate that into a digital hearing health record that can then be shared with a special specialist in any location. Wow. Um, and actually bringing all those elements together, um, we're building in some machine learning algorithms to allow us to tell you as the eardrum, uh, let's say, normal or abnormal as well as trends in their ear health 
but it's been uniquely designed so that actually it doesn't need a specialist to use it, not an ENT specialist or a GP, but with the appropriate training, a um, healthcare assistant or nurse or other allied health professional. And we were developing that concept and I, I'd won a bit of prize money to get a proof of concept. But then I was left with this dilemma of now, okay, someone is willing to invest in you, invest in the idea. Um, how, you know, when you in surgery, and I'm sure when you, you look back to those days when you were an anesthetist as well, mm. when you come to get to that level of training, I think it was about ST6 level then, um, you can only do one thing. You can only focus on being a good surgeon. Yeah. And I remember speaking to some of my uh, bosses at the time and said, look, Krish, this opportunity is probably never going to come around again. So um, I think, you know, the advice was, you know, maybe you should take it. And I'd already taken some, obviously doing the PhD as well. Um, but in order to fully focus this, I was thinking, well, how do I continue doing the, the operating as a surgeon, finish writing my PhD, at that point in time, I had a newly born baby boy <laughs> um, and, you know, trying to get this venture off the ground. So I, was, I think something's got to give. And, you know, a lot of people might say that, uh, you know, at that point in time there, you've kind of de-risked the, the project by getting that level of funding. But for me, as, you know, all of us do, you kind of... It's responsibility, in, right? Yeah, but you go into being you go into being a doctor because you like being a doctor. So I was like, well, I'm not quite ready to to jump. If some people might have jumped at that stage, so what I did was I took the um, plan to actually switch to general practice. So I went from ENT mm. at quite a high level to then going to GP, which was going right down back to ST1. Um, but actually, that that enabled me to. You know, GP training in itself has its pressures as well. And, but it, they welcomed me <laughs> quite yeah. nicely and reduced some of my training and enabled me to continue with kind of working and being quite flexible in how I could do my training. Um, but I was still doing full-time training alongside doing this now um, from like when you finish your GP day to midnight every day. But I was trying to grow things and actually... In the end, with that money, we were able to develop a version one of the kit, which actually um, got what is now rolled out nationally across uh, Boots Hearing Care. And I was able to do that kind of whilst working as a full-time trainee. Somewhere in the midst, <laughs> a second child came along as well. <laughs> uh, and, you know, part-time PhD, I continued that. And, you know, we're now in that final write-up stage. But that was then kind of evolving that. And then I kind of got to this stage where I was like, you know what? It's, I do need a team inside that. <laughs> you didn't even have a team at this point. So you had a million quid startup, two kids yeah. and a PhD and you're a practicing doctor and yeah. you didn't have a team behind your startup with him. But no, that's amazing. I think what I had was you know, <laughs> with all these things I had outsourced a lot of the work. So I had a team that were outsourced software developers and an sure, outsourced got it designers okay but fine. as a day-to-day -day company ops yeah it's me basically um and wow. that was uh quite challenging as you can imagine and you know trying to um and i suppose now i'm thinking this i was saying i wonder if boots at that time knew it was just me would they would they, would they have <laughs> gone ahead with uh, with uh, 
rolling it out. But anyway, uh, ask him in a few um, years, mate. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, no, they've been very happy with it actually, and it's, uh, nice. it's progressed really, really well for them. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'm doing my GP training um, and building the company. And I think once we, once I, I kind of got that contract with boots and then rolling it out i mean they're in now more than 100 stores i think um, wow. now and they're gradually increasing they've seen thousands of patients so far um with it more than you know tens ten thousand patients i think they're more than that they've seen which again is a validation to how hopefully good the product is as well mm. um and uh from then i was like okay now let's fast forward so that was kind of halfway through the bit of my gp training and then let's fast forward a bit Further, I then started, um, once this was out and other providers heard about it, then we started speaking to the other high street providers. Um, we then started speaking to global hearing aid providers. And I remember going out there to meet uh, the parent company of Boots Hearing Care in Switzerland, um, Sonova. And they um, looked and said, actually, this is a very unique piece of kit. Um, and we're kind of in the process of them now looking at what would be a global procurement contract alongside other um, uh, sectors as well, which we'll probably come on to. But the, uh, it was at that point in time when I did that, I was like, you know what, we, I need to get a space, get some team together. And so as of August last year, then obviously I have a team now which, um, which work with me to obviously deliver what we mm. set out to achieve. Which and, is the team um, that I saw you with when we were at the RSM, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, so uh, we've now got a proper office space. We're recruiting, getting more people in. And um, I think that yeah, sometimes as a founder um, and, you know, and particularly, you know, maybe as a, as a doctor as well, you kind of feel like you can do everything because you feel like you have capacity yeah. to do that. Um but I've seen that, you know, by bringing in um, a great team, um, so much more can get done. And that, you know, I kind of knew that was going to happen, but it's always difficult to hand mm. over some of those responsibilities as well. Yeah. So I've got a few questions, mate. Um, yeah. And I want to start with when you got the money in, you being a practicing doctor and you getting investment, I want to say in spite of still being a full-time clinician i know that for most people listening i guess the thought of having a full-time job and raising a million quid just seems a bit alien because they'd expect <laughs> i suppose you'd expect your investors to at least ask you the question you know what, what are you what are you planning to do about this full-time job if i'm going to give you this money because the investors naturally are going to want you to focus 100 percent on the business mm. but i guess with this being so tied to your personal brand, personal identity as a clinician, as an ENT specialist, I imagine there was somewhat brand value to the company of having you still practicing, still doing these things, as well as the clinical credibility, perhaps. I mean, talk to me about that conversation with your investors and perhaps how you convinced them or how they convinced you to stay in medicine, whichever way around it was, and, and talk to me more about that. Well, I think, I think that was, it was a key. It's, I think when I was, and I think maybe there was a little bit of luck in the fact that you meet an investor who, who actually genuinely shares, I mean, Investors, obviously, they do want to get a return on their investment. 
you know, but shares the vision which I had. Yeah. And I said to him quite clearly, I think, you know, at the stage where we're at, as we're growing the company, it's key for me to be still practicing as a doctor. And it brings with it incredible credibility. And I think the success in which, the small success which we've had, I don't think we would have had if I hadn't um, have been in the system. Yeah. You know, the support also of being part of the NHS England Clinical Entrepreneur Program. Um, and the conversations we had was, yes, he um, wanted me to be there focusing on this. And I think what I was able to show him was that despite having a f- the full-time clinical job, which was busy, I still had the capacity to progress the product and commercial uh, discussions as well. Yeah. Because I think if I'd hit a roadblock where I was like, nothing is progressing, then I think that then becomes a more difficult conversation. The fact that I, yeah. I think he saw that I had the capacity to do that. I mean, you might ask my wife differently whether or not she thought. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, no, because I, I think because I was showing progress um, and it was kind of in line with where we saw the roadmap going, I think we were able to work quite well together. And actually, it's still super supportive of me continuing that practice as well. Um, and that's why it's so key to bring on the the key members and the team yeah. um, as well. So it sounds like to me then you were just very confident in that room when, you know, if if that question was going to be uh, posed, then you just had your answer for it, which is look at the traction that I've achieved whilst being mm. a clinician and actually that level is still going to continue. I also need it for these reasons, for the credibility for this, 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 and for that to be tangible. I suppose you were able to deliver a, a good a good answer. And I suppose the proof, as you've quite rightly put, is then in the pudding because you've then got to go and deliver on that thesis that you've just explained yeah. and you get yourself into hot water pretty quickly, as you say, if you start slowing down. So then I imagine there, was, there, there may have been a few hidden clauses in the paperwork to, <laughs> yeah, to, get, yeah, you to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to get you to focus on it full time. So... Yeah, good. I'm interesting as well because I, there are probably lots of people listening that that are perhaps about to embark on that conversation or perhaps envisage having that conversation in the future. But what I mean, what would your advice be to people in that situation? You know, clinicians, be them doctors, nurses, whatever it is, that have got an idea that they're working on a business, they might have got to MVP stage. Is it horses for courses, and or is would you think there's a hard and fast rule? Well, for me, I think what I did was, you know, I think I, for me, I was like, you know, first and foremost, you're a clinician and you look forward and you think, well, okay, what would I, you know, even if it's whether you think about what you're going to achieve in your career, whether it be financial or whether it be you want to do something great for the world. What I had with the product that I was creating, which was at that point was MVP, I was quite confident that that product would succeed. So mm-hmm. what I felt was the conversation with the investor was let me de-risk your investment. So the way that I, and there's no right or wrong way of doing this, but what I did, I was confident I was going to reach some certain milestones. Mm. So, you know, we use that concept of kind of sweat equity, whereas if I reach this and do this and and do that, then actually I get to a point where we both were agreed on, but if I don't, then the product was a failure anyway. Um, And I think that that worked quite well for me because, you know, as a clinician, you're tuned into doing one part 
of your job. And we know loads about that particular specialty or whatever you're doing. But you've got to do that transition of clinician to entrepreneur to obviously running a business. Mm. And for me, the way that I worked best was focusing on some kind of milestones which I knew I need to get to. So it laser focuses you into what you have to achieve. And I think that's worked quite nicely with the investor because then there's something for him to mark up against you as well. And I think some investors, I mean, I personally think that someone who develops something who has been part of the system and, and being a clinician founder, I think is really important or being part of a team in a health tech startup mm. because they've got, you know, on the ground experience. But it also gave an investor the marker of saying, well, you know, whether it would be him or let's say someone who's comes from the commercial world, that's how I judge them if they cool. reach that milestone. And I think that's kind of what I felt worked well for me. And yeah, luckily it did work out. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the product, dude. So I want to know from an engineering perspective, how you got it made even at MVP stage. And I want to know a bit more about the bits that make it up. You mentioned them very quickly in, in the intro, but yeah, paint some paint, paint a picture for me as to what this product, cause I'm literally looking at it on your website now, which yeah. by the way, for everybody listening, timperhealth.com, T Y M P A health.com. And you can have a look at it on there. But for those that can't get their iPhone out of the pocket and have a look at their phone, describe <laughs> what it is for me. Um, and talk to me about getting, getting to MVP and a bit of the engineering bits. So in terms of um, that, so yeah, well, thanks. Yeah. Timper health. So for those who are non-medical, the, the eardrum is known as the tympanic membrane. So that's where the, the name came from Timper health. Um, but it's the, when I was starting out, um, the way in which I needed to fund my idea was actually just go for like some small prizes. And so there's a prize in the hospital, that I won for a couple of thousand pounds and another prize in another institution. I think that enabled me to work because I'm not an engineer, but I knew what I wanted to achieve. And the product itself brings together three elements of the ear clinic in one. So it allows you to have a look at the ear, the eardrum in um, high definition image. So that's your otoscopy. Um, it allows you to do the intervention I mean, 30 to 35% 30 to of people generally have earwax, which causes a problem. So it allows you to remove the earwax in a way that's done in the hospital called microsuction. Traditionally, you need a microscope for that. And then it adds in the element of the hearing screening test. So for me, it, the first key was looking at how the kit, if I wanted to be developed, used by an allied health professional, it's got to fit and, and work in the hands in an ergonomic way but also get the optics right. So I went to a uh, design house and used the initial money to just get a proof of concept, which that's, you know, that's what we're able to do. But then once I raised the money, I went to a medical design house and we sat down and it was literally days of thrashing out, almost me downloading you know, my brain into the engineer's head, yeah. mind. Yeah, to, and we did a fair bit of work in that pre-concept stage, but now um, you're getting into what would be a commercial product. And actually, I look back at pictures 
of what the first version was to where it is now. And you think, wow, how did it get from there <laughs> to there? And I remember actually, I walked into the investor's office with that first version. And probably one day we should put it up on the website because it was a very, <laughs> it did what it said on the tin, but you, d- you definitely wouldn't want to go near a patient with it. <laughs> um, and it was working with them. I think um, trying to, I think the difficult thing is trying to, as a clinician, you're so invested in what you know it needs to be like. But taking a step back and say, well, how can we get that work from an engineering pro- prototype to even looking at the ergonomics, how it feels in the hand. And, you know, I was, you know, as part of my PhD, I was looking at how long an otoscope had been around for. And actually the first otoscope, I think, was uh, described in the 13th century. Wow. And now the, you know, traditional otoscope that you see in every doctor's bag, that hasn't changed for like 40, 50 years. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do was almost create the the new age otoscope which does a lot more Mm. which makes a lot of sense so with the latest design then how does a how does a clinician use it and how does it fit into their workflow because i'm interested you mentioned lots of different clinicians can use it and you mentioned something about it, uh, an electronic record potentially i mean does that sit outside does it integrate with mm-hmm. emis and is this primary care is this sat in a pharmacy talk to me about how it fits into healthcare if you see what i mean yeah no um i think the model was built for it to be used out in the community right but that's to said that actually we've got clinicians in the hospital wanting to use it but let's take the ideal example just on this painter picture so you'd have someone in the community who actually would present to your GP with, let's say, a hearing issue or ear pain or an, an ear issue. And so rather than actually going to see the GP, and the nice thing about the ears is there aren't many life-threatening conditions. Mm. So I think there would be a pre-screen, you know, you'd get the red flags which we've built into our, our kind of protocol. But the hearing the healthcare assistant or the nurse would have a look in the ear. They would then, if there was wax, be able to remove that and then see a a picture of the eardrum and then do a hearing screening test. If they thought the image of the eardrum was abnormal or they thought that they failed the hearing test, that creates a digital record which is able to sync into the patient record, so either the hospital record or EMIS. Um, We've got an open-ended back-end system. um, And as I've learned on this journey is that whenever there's a and it's, you know, it's kind of, you, I might say it kind of in an easy way, but when you get a digital problem, if you put two kind of software engineers together in a room, they'll be able to find um, the solution. Um, <laughs> but essentially it creates that record that then the patient doesn't need to go down that pathway, which I mentioned, and it can be sent on directly to an ENT specialist. And I think the future, and we know that from the five-year forward view is that Patients need to have access to a digital consultation and that ENT surgeon can look at that image, look at the history, look at the image, which would be a video, not just an image, um, to have a look at the hearing screening test and be able to actually get a picture of what that patient looks like without physically seeing them and give advice. And then either say, yes, that needs to come in or no, try this. And that patient stays within the community. Amazing. And so that would work in a very much a GP setting, primary care, linking in with the um, hospital, but it also works on other facets. So we're currently trialing in uh, nursing homes. 
So that's a group of patients who, to even get them to leave the nursing home to come into hospital with a GP is a big task and you're mm. taking them out of their environment. And we had, uh, we're trialing it in nursing homes where they want to deliver the best practice or best care they can. But again, you create that digital record that actually is be able to be shared with their GP who can review that and say, actually, I, I don't think there's anything thing wrong. At least you've got something to go back to as a point of reference and it's the same thing with trialing in independent pharmacies. So people tend to present to their pharmacy with, okay, I've got a problem with my ear. Mm. Why would you not train up a pharmacist to say, well, you know what, why don't I have a look in your ear? You have wax. Let me remove it. Let's do a screening hearing test. Good. And the concept about this hearing health record, I think, is something you can have a look at the optical world. You know, all of us, if someone asks you to come and have an eye test, you just go and have it. It's part of your kind of yearly or two yearly checkup. Yeah. yeah exactly and so in a way why shouldn't that happen with your hearing and actually what we're building is the ability to say well okay let's have a look at this patient at year one and at year five their hearing has changed has anything happened in between with our machine learning that we're building is there anything we could have predicted earlier um to say well actually let's do an intervention at this stage um and i think I'm quite an advocate saying that should be happening and creating that hearing health record because, you know, the links for me, hearing loss as a link, it's uh, it's linked to isolation. It's actually the single most modifiable risk factor for prevention of dementia. Wow. So we should be actually looking for it earlier as well. And I think being part of the MOT, as you say, is something which I think needs to happen. And, you know, whether it be our device or others, you know, it's a tool which can be used in multi-professionals. Yeah, and I think there's something here about access, isn't there? Because as you quite rightly put, to have an eye test just seems like a totally normal thing to do. And, mm. and therefore you sort of factor in those mechanisms to get that done in your day in your week in your year. And similarly, because it's on people's minds, you know, if people are getting headaches, one of the things is, Oh, you need an eye test. It, it's just straightforward. Yeah. But if people are showing signs of early onset dementia, it's not like, Oh, you should get a hearing test or if mm. you know, it's, it's not, it's not in everybody's consciousness as much is it, I guess, which I suppose one of the things that you're trying to do as a company is raise that awareness, but actually by making access so easy, it's sort of a bit of a chicken and egg, isn't it? By putting both into the mix, you're exactly. likely to, to, to get like a, a virtuous cycle, which is quite nice. And also not just working in with the ENT guys, if they fail their hearing test, their screening hearing test, then that's where the audiologist is key because they're yeah. excellent at delivering and making sure people pick up and use their hearing aid. I think in the UK, they're saying it takes about seven years for someone who has a problem, who thinks they have a problem with their hearing, to actually get a hearing aid, purely because people put it off. And similar to you, you, you saying, people just feel, oh, I, I don't want to get a hearing aid because um, maybe stigma. that means I'm getting... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an admission it. exactly. of, of ageing and all the rest of it, yeah. Um, but we're finding that audiologists, so we're trying it in a couple of hospital sites and in one of the hospital sites, the audiologists are finding, well, it's just helping them do their workload because they don't have to go and stand outside the ENT surgeons and say, can you remove this wax for me? Let me just get on and do it and then oh, nice. test their hearing. So it's kind of working on... on it's just streamlining works. that process. So talk to me then about, talk to me about the business model. So who pays, who saves, who benefits? How does it improve the system? Talk to me a bit about that. 
So again, I think with the NHS, it's a cost saving um, method. So in terms of paying for it, we're, we're, we're talking to CCGs now to say, yeah. because actually what you're doing is, you know, and it's, it sounds, you know, we're hitting those points of the five year forward view. So we're looking to reduce the burden on outpatients. You know, you're taking automatically a subset of patients. Last year, I think no, actually 2018, um, out of the 90 million outpatient procedures performed, earwax removal was in the top 10 because oh. everyone's coming into the hospital. Yeah. So if you're taking out that uh, subset of patients coming into the community, that's reducing the outpatient burden, but also streamlining referrals. So that's a saving there because that's an expensive appointment. Yeah. The fact that you're able to deliver parts of that service with an allied health professional, not an expensive ENT surgeon, is a cost saving. Yeah. The fact that you're able to access more patients is more accessible for patients. And even, you know, one of the things in the five year forward view, we're talking about carbon footprint, that traveling, that journey I talked about, you know, you're stopping that from happening. And so I think in the NHS model, we're building up a very good health economic case to show that it's a truly cost saving method. One of the figures which I had got from working within the NHS is saying that it's costing you know, multiples of, of minutes. I'm not even sure I'm able to say how much the figure is, um, but it's, it's a significant amount of um, people coming into the hospital. And the fact, if you look at ears, you know, they talk about teledermatology, uh, telehealth medicine. For me, the phrase for us with ears is called otology. So why not have a truly teleotology service? that uh, you're sending images across. So that's interesting. Yeah. I should coin that phrase, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not actually um, been uh, well publicized yet, but that's an NHS model. I think that's kind of quite easy to see. I think it's, it's difficult. I think to model because it hits so many parts of the pathway. Yeah. It's, it will be difficult for you to actually quantify it, as you say, because there are so many weird and wonderful ways that this does save that are both sort of tangible and sort of intangible and one affects the other and you'll be double counting and not counting. You know, it'll be a bit of a mess. I think it's just fair to say that there are f many, many touch points that it will affect mm. in quite a positive way. Because as you say, it, you know, just even then, you know, it's one of the top 10 reasons that people go to outpatients and you can just remove it completely yeah, and utterly exactly. safely yeah. and deliver a better service for patients. There's all sorts of winners in that equation alone. And, and again, add to that the fact that it's not expensive top end clinicians that have to do this. It can be allied health professionals, which by hour are cheaper to put, you know, all the rest of it. it yeah, exactly. The, there's so much of it that feeds in and fits in that it, that it, just makes a lot of sense. I mean, one, one of the things I've written down here as you were speaking is that it's, it seems crazy to me that this hasn't been done before in some way, yeah, shape or yeah. form, or at least pushed for. I mean, it's all, I imagine in the ENT department, the, the, the coffee room is full of chats about this sort of thing. Like, why isn't this, why is this person mm. coming in again? Like, oh, it's another one of these. It's another one of those. This should be done in the community. The GP should be able to do that. You know, I imagine that talk is rife in, in yeah. those departments that it seems crazy to me that how many of those departments there must be across the country and the world that this sort of thing hasn't really been thought of before. I mean, it's well, no, it's yeah, no, it is interesting. And I think that there, there, there are kits without a doubt, which do elements of this 
pathways and the kits which look in the ear at high definition. There's there's kits which allow you to do wax removal and kits which do the screening hearing test. But there isn't a kit uh, currently in the world. Uh, we have a global patent on both our version wow. one and version two that brings all of those elements together. And, and this is it, right? About this is what we keep saying on this podcast yeah. about solving a problem end to end, because yeah. it's all well and good solving a bit of a problem. Like in this case, oh, there's this amazing kit which shows the eardrum in high def. Well, great, I can see it and I know the problem, but I can't do anything about it. Yeah. And like, oh, there's this kit that that gets the wax removal done. Oh, okay, but I can't record it anywhere, and I can't. You know, it, it's it makes sense to actually solve an end, a problem end to end for people, particularly people that might end up going and buying it, like a pharmacist or you know all that sort well, of stuff so well exactly and i think that's the because that's where the models have worked differently so for example in the uh the high street audiologist for them it, it it's a better service for the patient they keep the customer in they're able to deliver a truly portable solution it drives them revenue and ultimately sells them hearing aids in the pharmacist yeah they want to be able to drive revenue in a different way doing the wax removal but do it in a safe way that they're being recorded for how their procedure is being done. And I found it interesting that, um, yeah, you're right, you know, why has no one thought of the solution before? But sometimes people have said, well, the fact that it's so simple, maybe that's why people haven't. Yeah. But we say it's simple, but actually the technology, the, <laughs> the way in which it's been put together there's obviously something to it, the fact that we've been able to get a patent on it. It's also something that we say on this podcast a lot, mate, which is that there's a hell of a lot of complexity in making things look simple. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes, kudos exactly. to you. And I can only imagine that as I'm looking at this wonderful little black device that's spinning around on my laptop at the moment, uh, <laughs> the amount of complexity that goes into that. Um, I just want to talk briefly about the growth of your company because you've had an interesting journey because mm. i remember when we last met you didn't even have a website but you were having these no. conversations with like multinational corporations about <laughs> about <laughs> yeah. getting it kind of labeled and all the rest of it i mean it, it was it was an interesting way that this evolved and i think the the bit that shone through for me was that it was housed so much in your clinical ability and and your ability as a clinician to spot the problem and solve the problem. And you seemed, when we, well, when we met that time, I just came away just thinking that you seemed so focused on just actually solving the problem that anything to do with hype, i.e. right the way down to like a website, yeah. you just weren't that interested in because at the end of the day, you were building this thing to solve the problem. That was your sole focus. And it, yeah. it seems now that you know a few of the bits that you mentioned to me just before we started recording that, that's starting to happen to you now, it seems that that real focus i mean a real focus a genuine focus on on actually building something that solved the problem getting through the regulations and i imagine this has been mm. c marked fda approved yeah, all the rest yeah. of it yeah you know you've gone away and done all that work in the background silently you've raised bits of money and and won the prizes and then you did the big race to break you know you've, you've done all that in the background without causing a scene which yeah, yeah. is sort of the reverse way around that so many people do it but it means that as you're now coming coming up for air and you, <laughs> i can type in timperhealth.com and actually see it <laughs> it seems that you've emerged in a really strong position well yeah i mean for me i think well you know, I think that was, there was a bit of strategy towards that, but also, um, I think you, you've articulated in the right way. For me, I was like, why make noise about a product which we haven't 
delivered on and that we have the same wants. because then you've got because then you create expectation that you can't meet and exactly. then you're in a deficit yeah. and then you feel awful I mean, that's yeah. just no, no, that's exactly. the position that i'd be in you know um, and I remember, like we, you know, we we got the first few out in in boots. We were in like twenty five boot stores. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I was like, but it's only there's still so much evolution to happen. Yeah. But I just wanted to get that bit right. And even now, you know, it was only December we launched our website, but we were already pretty much rolled out from a in the boots is mine nationally across <laughs> their network. Amazing. But we and, and you know we were talking to you know three out of the top five hearing aid companies in the world. Um, like I told you, I had to have uh, conversations with Apple as well. Um, and for me, I think it was all about being, particularly as a clinician jumping into this field, you want to maintain that credibility. And I thought, well, there's no point making noise about it. Let other people make noise about it if they want to. But yeah. um, let's get the product right so that now when we're ready to expose ourselves to the world, we can actually stand up behind it and say, you know what? We, we believe in, we have got a really strong product here. Um, and for me, uh, and also to be honest, James, it was, it was a distraction, you know, doing all that marketing, you know, it, it would have taken, eaten up at, at yeah. the time. Anyway, you know, even now you don't, time is precious to everybody. Yeah. And um, for me, I was like, well, you know, what is the benefit of, of, of doing that? I need to build something before we can actually start shouting about it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And if, my very helpful HS ambassadors are listening, Dina and Francois. This comes back to what I was saying the other day. Just build a good product. If you build a good product that serves your customers well, the rest can take care of itself, which I think definitely started to happen for you, particularly those, I mean, getting getting into 25 stores into Boots with a device that was not even yeah. a final version and not no, even a, yeah. a website. You know, all of those things, it just, it just goes to show that actually if you're solving a problem for your customers mm. then that's where you can make the most ground for you know a bang for your buck kind of thing so absolutely yeah awesome, awesome work dude i want to talk just one more question before we start wrapping this up um i want to talk to you about i mean we've glossed over the fact that you see marked and fda approved by the way so congratulations on doing yeah. that particularly getting through it and and all the rest well of the, the, I'll, I'll just so in may we'll have the fda Fine. That's just cool. But we're that's strategically as well because in June they're they're launching, which you may know, they've got over-the-counter hearing aids coming out, and that's now part of our roadmap um, to 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 help in that scenario arena as well to make sure that is done safely as well. Interesting, interesting. In fact, let's let's go there then. So. Yeah, talk to me about that then. Talk to me, talk to me about your scale and what you're trying to achieve in the next six twelve months. <clears throat> well, I think if I, you know, with all um, company, you know, every company, it may be cliche, but you kind of got to have a mission of what you want to do. And for me, you know, one of the big things having to move away from ENT surgery, I said, well, if I'm going to do that, some, you know, a career which obviously I was really into and enjoyed, I wanted to make sure that I was making a big impact. And for me, as a company in the scale, is actually. We want to get things right locally, but actually, why can't we get things right globally? And the kit is designed so that actually, why could you not take it out to an environment such as India, Africa, and deliver a service which they never would have thought they'd be able to access because they wouldn't have the ability to, to pay for those expensive equipment. Sure. Um, only three weeks ago, we were one of a professor of ENT actually took it out to Cambodia. And he trained up a nurse there 
and she was delivering a service um, within a couple of days, a service wow. which you know they they were not being able to deliver before. So if I take it's so it, easy for this, isn't it? Because it's just standalone. Well, exactly, exactly, and and the fact that then now, um, if he wanted to, he'd be able to help them with management of care. So yeah. they could send over the image to them. He could give them advice oh, remotely. Of course, yeah. Um, and so if I take that as kind of the end as what is our journey, if we were a, if we are in those environments delivering care, that's when we know, or in my mind, that we'll have succeeded in doing all the other commercial bits which we need to get done. And I think in our roadmap is, for me, what I'd like to do is make sure that we are in the various environments in the, in the, in the, the safest way as well, making sure the right training has taken place, but you know, delivering it in nursing homes, independent pharmacies, um, the hospital, the NHS, but also the high street. So that then we're kind of seen as being multi-platform in different areas, but then moving across the pond. And I think in America, what's happening with this over-the-counter hearing aid sector, that's new. You know, hearing aid manufacturers are watching intently as well. And, you know, the thought process, and, you know, we're still not sure how it's going to pan out, is that you would be able to go as if you were going to buy your shampoo at CVS, buy an over-the-counter hearing aid. Um, we've been in discussions with a couple of companies who are going to launch in that sector. But what my argument is that why would you get an over-the-counter hearing aid without somebody having looked in your ear? Well, absolutely. If there's wax, remove it. If they fail the screening hearing test, because over-the-counter hearing aids are more for mild to moderate hearing loss, if they really fail the hearing test, then actually that over-the-counter hearing aid is not going to be beneficial for them. And try to moderate it in some way. And even if they are, it fits an over-the-counter at least you're creating that digital hearing health record so that then if their hearing does worsen, you've got a reference point. Um, and I think that will be quite exciting for us to be part of if we're able to partner up with the right groups, um, but also just using the, the hearing aid sector. You know, what I'm finding is the pathway which I've described is not just unique to the UK, it's across the world. Yeah. So, you know, these big hearing aid providers, you know, they've told us we're hitting a part of the pathway which you know, maybe they hadn't really thought about. It's mm. that pre part of preparing someone to think they might need a hearing aid. And for us on our roadmap is let's get it right in the UK. But actually, why would we not be thinking further afield? Because the kit fits multiple locations. I love it. I love it, mate. <laughs> I, th I think you're, you're certainly on the right lines. And I think for anybody listening, if, if, if anybody is so inclined, if you could just write that, get an Excel spreadsheet up and in column A, write down every piece of equipment that a doctor in 2020 uses or a nurse or a, you know, audiologist or opto, mm. write down all the equipment in column A and then in column B, put the date in which it was last innovated. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. if, if you were to just look at all the equipment and you just think if there's a, if there's a piece of kit which has not changed in 40 years, yeah. we're pr I'm pretty confident it could do with an upgrade. And at the very least, just, I don't know, draw it and put AI machine learning in the deck and then <laughs> go, yeah. go, go yeah. looking for investment. Um, yeah. But dude, listen, so we've got a load of people that, that listen to this, uh, to listen to this podcast. In fact, 
There is one of my previous guests who has hired three people off the back of doing an episode of this podcast uh, that have gotten touched in wanting to be hired. So, and I'm sure there are loads that I haven't heard about. So, who are you looking for? What are you looking for? And yeah, talk to me about the growth of your team and if any of our listeners can help. So, I think, you know, we're in that phase now where we can put that add up saying we're hiring. Um, we, <laughs> you can just dominate we, everyone's LinkedIn that is associated well, with your company. Well, you know what I'm like, I haven't actually put that up. But, of course yeah. you've not. <laughs> of course. But, but um, yeah, no, we are. And I think, you know, one of the things which I think is the key for us is, you know, we are getting, you know, a significant amount of data coming into us. And I think I, you know, I, the aim is that we're going to have, you know, the biggest bank of hearing health data possibly in the world because we're linking it all together. And I think getting a, the right tech team behind that would be important. We've got a great um, CTO who's um, working with us as well as a great guy who's um, on our oper- operative side. But both from the data perspective, any data scientists who are interested in even just coming to have a chat with us. I mean, we are actually working with um, Imperial College because we are unique in the fact we're able to support PhDs. Um, that might be a route as well. Um, my CTO has got a PhD himself. Um, so we're able to support that as well. But I think data scientists, anyone who's even in the audiology world who you know, feels that they would want to get involved, but doesn't even need to be from the audiology world. You know, the fact that we are multi-professional, um, I think it lends itself to different areas of healthcare. And, you know, I'm definitely open to speak to anyone. And it might be cliche, but to be honest, we're a small team. But I think what's key in that is that what you want is people who join the team who share the same vision. Everyone has a skill set. And it's making sure that that skill set is used to get to the end goal of what we want to achieve. And, um, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants to reach out and uh, um, contact me, then uh, happy to do that. And the, the details are on the website as well. Amazing. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on, dude. As, as you well know, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. I, I love the way that you're, that you're running this. I love the, I love the products. I think the, this sort of new paradigm even of a way of putting a device into the community with it being standalone, it's also able to integrate. There's all sorts that's going well with what you're doing, as you well know from your traction. So congratulations to you, sir, for everything that's Thank happened you. so far. And I, I definitely wish you the best luck in future. Um, and listen, mate, the way that we end these podcasts is I'm just going to hand back over to you to essentially summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about the company. And if you can leave us with an email address or a contact email for those people that want to be hired to get in touch with you, then uh, close us out with that, sir. Yeah, well, um, so I guess, so you said a little bit about myself. So yeah, ENT surgeon, dad, PhD, thesis <laughs> writer, and uh, I guess you could say entrepreneur as well. Um, and, Reluctant uh, entrepreneur, but it's a problem solver. <laughs> yeah, problem solver, exactly. Um, but, you know, we're at Tempo, you know, the vision is we want to help the world to hear. We, we feel we've got a solution that can help that. So we're not actually... We're disrupting the market in some way, but what we're actually trying to do is augment the market so that patients reach the right people to get the right level of care. Um, And I think anyone who wants to get in touch and join us on that journey, please do, um, either through info at timberhealth.com or if you want my email is Christian, K-R-I-S-H-A-N, at timberhealth.com. And uh, be happy to chat. And I have to say, James, it's been a pleasure 
being on the podcast. Um, it's actually my first podcast that I've done as well. Amazing. Um, Won't be the last, I imagine. <laughs> but in terms of words of advice, you said, I think with anything that when you believe in something, um, doctors, I would say, are probably quite risk averse. And you can even see that in the way that I did. I wasn't happy to just jump ship and go from ENT into the commercial world. I you know, wanted to stay within the system. But I think the key part that kept me going is um, having that focus of knowing what you want to achieve, but then breaking that down into small chunks. And it's important to have a support network around you. People talk about it all the time. Um, that it can be quite a lonely road. But I think if you've got that support network and you believe in what you're doing, uh, generally, for me, certainly that keeps me going because you might wake up one day and the startup journey is up and down all the time. Um, and I'm definitely still at that early stage of it. Um, but I think if you maintain that focus and in, in whatever way that you have to do that, I think that keeps you um, going. And for me, I think what's key is also to stay grounded You've got to enjoy the high moments. There'll be low moments. But if you start to think and believe that you're a company you're not, then I think that's when you probably make wrong decisions. And hopefully we'll continue to maintain in that vein. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.